0: If you were with us last week, uh, you hopefully remember that we started a new summer sermon series, and we're in the letter Philippians for the next uh, several weeks together. And the the series is called Subversive Unity. It's called Subversive Unity. And the opening verses of the letter that we we covered last week focused on Paul highlighting uh, the mutual love between the Philippian church and himself, he then encouraged them in those opening verses to grow in their mutuality and in wisdom together. This week, we're going to turn to the next uh, set of verses in which Paul focuses on how the gospel has advanced during his imprisonment. And then he gives some examples of how God has worked and through his humility, through Paul's humility, in imprisonment to spread the gospel in really difficult circumstances. And so let's, let's pick up there. We're going to turn to uh, the book of Philippians, and we're going to be in chapter 1. So I'll give you a te- second to turn there. And if you're able, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? So again, v- uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. Uh, I'm reading from the NRSV. And it reads, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the progress of the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. Some proclaim Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. These proclaim Christ out of love, knowing that I have been put here for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but intending to increase my suffering in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just this that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my salvation. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet I cannot say which I will choose. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith, so that by my presence again with you, your boast might abound in Christ Jesus because of me. This is the word of God. It's a long passage. I'm going to need a little water. Uh, let's, let's pray together before we dive in. God, we thank you for this morning, for the gift of worship, uh, for the chance to celebrate with our brothers and sisters who are celebrating milestones. God, we thank you that you have been present and moving uh, in our lives in such, uh, such obvious and powerful ways, God, that we can't help but give you praise. So as we turn to your word this morning, Lord, I pray that um, you would give us a full meal. Lord, open us up to what you need for us to hear, whether that's something I say or that's something you translate through the Holy Spirit to my brothers and sisters here. God, I pray that your word would go forth, that the gospel would be preached, and that your word would advance this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, one of my favorite things about the internet, and there's not that many of them. But, but one of my favorite things about the internet is, is humble brags. This is like an older thing now, but I'm old, so bear with me. You familiar with humble, humble brags? Okay. So if you're not familiar with this, I'm going to give you the urban dictionary definition, which is the most reliable source on the internet. And this is the definition. It says, when you usually, when you usually consciously try to get away with bragging about yourself by couching it in a phony show of humility... Okay, a phony show of humility. It's kind of a complicated definition. I'm going to give you some examples. All right, so here's one. I have to miss my happy hour to pick up my Mercedes from the detailer after work. 639 text messages, 48 phone calls, 21 Snapchats, 57 Facebook messages, and you wonder why I'm always looking at my phone. Can everyone just leave me alone for like 30 minutes, please? Please just let me be today for once. I'm begging, please. All right, this is the boxer Floyd Mayweather, if you're familiar with him. Okay, so he posted a picture with his son at his son's high school graduation, and this is the caption. He said, I'm so proud of my son for doing something that I didn't do, and that's graduate high school. It's pretty good so far, right? Then he says, when I was his age, I dropped out of school and followed my dream of boxing to take my family out of poverty. Okay, see that turn? All right, last one. And this is from an academic. I thought some of you would enjoy this. So these graduations, right? It's right up your alley here. This person said, do you ever do a lit search and while scanning the title, see one and think, oh, that sounds interesting. Then look at the authors and see that it's your own paper? I mean, that I happens to me all the time. And so, and so we, can, we can laugh at these, right? Because they're ridiculous. But a common thread here that I want to point out is that false humility can often reveal insecurities that are lurking just beneath the surface, right? Because false humility is really about advancing yourself and your agenda. True humility, as Paul demonstrates in our, in our passage, is about advancing others, Paul says advance or progress in verse 12, and then again in verse 25. So they sort of bookend our our section this morning. This section is about how the gospel was advanced during Paul's imprisonment. So the purpose of Paul talking about humility isn't to not so subtly bring attention to himself, but rather to advance the good news and to guide his readers and us today into deeper and more joyful lives in Jesus. Paul set a model of humility through his imprisonment that advanced the gospel. Now, he isn't doing this to humble brag, though, right? He's pointing out how God is spreading the gospel in these unexpected ways. And he hoped to encourage the Philippians as they face their own opposition in their lives and in their context. So for us today, we should follow Paul's model of humility to advance the gospel. Just as the Philippians were encouraged by Paul's humility in the face of the trials he was facing, we should be encouraged by how the gospel advances when we are humble servants. This morning we're going to learn from three different instances in which Paul modeled humility to advance the gospel. First, Paul was humble in his imprisonment. Second, Paul was humble when he was personally attacked. And third, Paul was humble when others carried on his work. So he was humble in prison, when he was personally attacked, and when others carried on his work. In each case, we'll see the gospel advance through Paul's humility, and then consider how the gospel can advance today in our context. So first, Paul was humble when he was in prison. For background, I think it's important to understand kind of what's going on in Paul's life at this time, what's going on in his mission. So... At this point, he's been in prison for at least four years. And he's writing this letter from a Roman prison. And he's probably been there for about two years at this point uh, of his writing of, of the letter to the Philippians. Now, you'll notice if you're you kind of following along, he doesn't say a whole lot about the conditions of his imprisonment, right? right? He's, not, he's not really talking about what's happening with his day-to-day here. And the reason actually might be a little more practical than it would appear Paul's dictating these letters to somebody else who's sort of a scribe for him and writing them down, right? Now, if he's talking openly about how terrible the conditions are, there's people who could overhear what he's saying, the prison officials, you know, potential informants who might be out to get Paul, and then he can get himself in worse trouble. So this is a practical component here to why he's not kind of talking about what's going on in his life specifically, but... I would also say that it seems that Paul's focus was not actually on the terrible conditions of his imprisonment. And they were definitely terrible, so let's not downplay how bad this was. But his focus is on advancing the gospel. From the way Paul writes, it seems that the Philippians were concerned for him, and rightfully so. Again, he's in prison, and this is not a good situation for him. They are worried about Paul's health. They were worried about his well-being. They were just concerned about him, and they were also worried that if he's in prison for too long, his work is going to get stopped. The gospel won't advance. And to that, Paul says, actually, this is serving to advance the gospel. Now, this would come as unexpected news as the Philippians. Why? Because Paul's actually reframing for them how to measure success in advancing the gospel. He's reframing how they need to understand what success looks like. See, the Philippians, like us, were probably thinking success in advancing the gospel looks like how many churches Paul's planted, or how many of his disciples have gone on to plant their own churches, right? We're always thinking in terms of growth, we're thinking in terms of metrics, how many people are reached. No, that's not what Paul says. He, in his humility, he'd allowed the gospel to be advanced in any situation that he's in. And how is the gospel advancing through Paul's imprisonment right now, or in this situation? It's advancing, I think, to what we would probably call evangelism. I think it's, it's more than that, but that's probably the closest thing we've got. What do I mean? He's, he's talking about Jesus. He's singing songs. He's praising God. He's probably fasting and meditating. And they're, they're all witnessing this, right? And through these means, Paul witnessed to his captors. They're not used to seeing something like, something like this. And he probably wouldn't truthfully shut up about Jesus. Probably just going on and on. And I was like, what is going on with this guy? And, and so we see in verse 13 the, the reach of this. It says, the whole imperial guard and everyone else else knows that Jesus is why Paul is in prison. Jesus is why Paul is in prison. So to give you some context, the imperial guard is um, it's basically like the emperor's or Caesar's personal security. So if you've ever seen Game of Thrones, anyone seen Game of Thrones? Right. It's like the King's Guard, right, or like the Queen's Guard. It's like, it's a troop that's loyal specifically, and they're trained, highly trained soldiers to protect the king, the king's family, and then also to squash any rebellions that might be bubbling up in Rome. Those are their main priorities. In other words, what we see here is that the Gospels reach the innermost ranks of the Roman Empire, right? Right? The gospels reach those entrusted to protect the most powerful man in the world. I mean, isn't God creative? How else could this have happened so quickly? There's probably no other way that the gospel would have reached the imperial guard and Caesar's household this quickly. If it hadn't been for Paul's imprisonment, as a Roman citizen, he was able to appeal to Caesar. And through this lengthy process imperial guard and everyone, and he says everyone else, he's not excluding anyone here, everyone else knows, because Paul won't shut up about Jesus. Right? So everyone knows. And, And you can read about this in the book of Acts, and you should, if you've not. Our God is creative. And I'll also say this, Paul is emotionally mature and trusts so deeply in God that he's become a conduit for the gospel to advance and progress. He's not impeded it. Paul was humble in his imprisonment because he prioritized the advancement of the gospel before his own, even his own freedom. And he trusted God so deeply that he knew that the Lord would provide for him on this very, very dangerous path. In verse 19, I'll turn your attention there, he says, God has provided the spirit of Jesus Christ. And we also know what's going on here is that the Philippians sent Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was sent with money, supplies to take care of Paul. So this, this dual combination of Paul's humility with also the witness of the people who are loving on him in prison, I think those must have spoken volumes to his captors. Like, what is going on? This guy's different. He's not in prison for the reason all these other people are in prison for. Because most of the people who were in this kind of prison were there for anti-Roman behavior. They were uprisers. They were people who were, who were making a stink about Rome, and so they were thrown in prison. They had, like, separate private prisons for debtors. This is like a different situation. But Rome liked to put anti-Roman people on display. They gave them public and humiliating deaths because they're trying to deter anyone from rising up. Because Rome was very clear on what it valued. Treason gets you eaten by lions in a stadium. That's what happens. It brings shame, not, not, on, not just on you. There's ramifications for your entire family. It makes everyone you know look bad. And so they thought, hey, this is a great deterrent to rebellion. And remember, the Imperial Guard existed partly to, to squash any sort of rebellion. So, this is the audience that Paul is witnessing to. These are the people who are in charge of him at prison. And his witness is so strong because these captors saw that Jesus was imprisoned. I mean, Paul was imprisoned for Jesus and not for anti Roman behavior. So, he stood out. All right, now, as I said, Paul measured success differently. His witness was powerful because he was flexible and humble about how the spirit would and could move through his imprisonment. And Paul was so caught up with worshiping and praising Jesus that he was available to be positioned in God's creative ways to progress the gospel. So I'm going to turn this on you a little bit. How do you measure success? Success. How do you measure success? How do you know if you've done a good job? If we're not careful, I think we can actually end up using Jesus as a means to our own ends. Do we measure success with our own metrics? Or do we humble ourselves and use God's metrics, which I would say are to make Jesus more beautiful. Not about pushing our own agendas. And I think this actually can get trickier to discern uh, for some of us who are in vocations or, or like sort of like higher calling, not higher callings, but like callings where that we're in service, right? I think this is actually get a little a little cloudier for us. Let me give you a personal example. As a minister, if I'm not careful, I start. I find myself reading the Bible to teach it or or preach it, and not to meet Jesus and have worship and praise. It's like a slippery slope, right? Because teaching and preaching, they're part of my call. But they're not what make me successful. They're not why God loves me. God doesn't love me more if I preach a good sermon versus a bad one. But it's easy for me to fall into that mindset at times when I'm I'm not careful. When I start to use scripture as a means to my own ends, I risk pursuing preaching as its own end instead of humbling myself and being a worshiper first. So a temperature check for those of us who... This, and I think to say this is for all of us, a temperature check for you is how do you react when progress is thwarted, when, it, when it, things don't work out the way that you want? Let me give you a few examples. Say you're a teacher, as many of you are. You're called to be a teacher. You know you're supposed to be a teacher. Your first year goes really horribly. Like, oh, this is awful. How do you measure that? Are you measuring it by your, your students' test scores, or are you measuring it by how faithful you showed up day in and day out in teaching and caring and loving your students with patience? Another example say you know you're called to be a stay at home parent after your child is born, or after you've adopted a child, but you're measuring success by how well your child behaves or sleeps. Trust me, I was there. Instead of how well you're engaging your child and interacting with them, even if they don't sleep well, even if they're acting out, right? Say you're struggling with an addiction. You beat yourself up every time you slip up because you think you've beaten this thing. I'm better than this. I shouldn't be struggling with this thing anymore. And what happens, of course, is you seek refuge in that addiction when it's hard and when you slip up. Instead, rest in the Father who loves you whether you're sober or not. Find loving community and accountability to come around you. How do you measure success when it comes to advancing the gospel in your callings in your personal lives? See, Paul was humble in prison and advanced the gospel by measuring success as God did. All right, second point Paul was humble when he was personally attacked. Paul showed incredible emotional maturity in how he handled his, his imprisonment, and here we see how Paul was emotionally mature when he put his his personal agenda second to the advancement of the gospel. Now, in his absence, what Paul says is other preachers and teachers have emerged. They've come out. They've come out. Some are for him, some are against him, and we'll get to them later. But some of them were emboldened in their faith to preach as a result of Paul's imprisonment. Christ, but we see he had opponents as well. In others of Paul's letters, he usually cites like theological or ethical disputes that are coming up, bubbling up in these congregations that he's writing to. Um, but here, he's actually pretty vague about what's going on. And the only real thing he says that's clear is that some of them were preaching the gospel were actively seeking to make Paul's situation worse. Now, now I'm going to speculate a little. Maybe Paul doesn't go after them because they're, they're fellow Christians, right? Because some, sometimes he'll, like, really go after some these, like, false teachers and other people in these other letters. He'll really go after them. It seems like he's being a little quieter on this. Some scholars believe that uh, the Christians might have been ashamed of Paul's imprisonment uh, and, and seeing it as a sign of weakness to be associated with that. I mean, not, like, not unlike today, right, where a lot of people are ashamed to be associated with someone who's a criminal or in prison, right? Like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't talk to that uncle anymore, right? It's really tempting to distance ourselves. So they had the reasons. Here are some of the reasons maybe they were, they were kind of distancing and attacking Paul. Some wouldn't want to look bad by association uh, or draw Rome's attention to themselves. Like I said, right, you don't, want, you don't want Rome's attention on you. It's going to be bad for your family. Some of them might have been projecting their own insecurities onto Paul. I think a lot of them probably were. In an honor-shame culture like in the Greco-Roman world, people sought to avoid shame and to seek honor. And being associated with a prisoner risked making the whole family look bad. So the thinking the thinking might have been, well, I want to look good and reflect well on my family, make, make sure my business practices are in good standing, no negative attention. So I'm just going to keep my distance from Paul. I don't want to be associated with that guy. I'm not, I'm, we're not like those Christians who do those things, right? Getting themselves in trouble. Some of them might have just wanted to increase their own reputations as teachers and preachers, and, and putting down Paul was an easy way to make themselves feel better, to prop themselves up. You recognize yourself in any of these reactions? I know I do. See, Paul was humble and responded to the opponents, to his opponents, with maturity and grace. It's not that Paul didn't care that people were out to get him and make his situation worse. It's it's just that he cared more about Jesus and the gospel being shared and spread. I'm sure he would have preferred all people preach out of love. But again, he cared more that the gospel spread. You see, emotional and spiritual maturity is, is being able to name what you want, what you feel, and I lost my place. What you want, what you feel, and what you desire. What you want, what you feel, and what you desire. While also honoring the wants, feelings, and desires of other people. It's not just about you. And maturity is, a lot about maturity is, is realizing that, wait a second, like other people actually matter too. Therefore, it doesn't become a simple binary of you get what you want or I get what I want. No, maturity means having the patience and the poise to be able to step back from the raw intensity of feelings and then reflecting and discerning what God's will is in a situation. doesn't mean you don't have the feelings. It means being able to step back. In our case this morning, it means asking, well, what would advance the gospel? What would advance the gospel? What would it mean? What would it look like for Jesus to look more beautiful in this situation, in this relationship? I venture to guess that most of the time that will actually involve listening well right? It's going to involve listening well. It's going to involve creating space for people's pain and for your own pain, not rushing through those things. It's going to take time and space for healing and revelation from God, and it will most certainly take prayer, not just alone, but in community. Prayer with others. An example from this passage is looking at how Paul handled opposition. Verses 17 to 18 read, The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, but intending to increase my suffering and my imprisonment. But what does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true, and in that I rejoice. Now look carefully. Paul's not saying he's glad people are trying to make his life miserable. Right? We're not, we're not out to make our lives more difficult. It's not saying he welcomes it, but he's able in that intensity to step back when he's personally attacked and seeing that somehow through God's grace and God's providence that the gospel is still being advanced. God has given Paul a spirit of humility that has matured him to the point that he's able to see what's best even in really difficult circumstances. Now you can probably guess what question I'm going to ask you at this point is how do you respond when your character is attacked? What would it look like for you to step back and consider how Jesus can be made more beautiful? How the gospel can be advanced when you are attacked? Now, this doesn't mean you allow yourself to be abused. It doesn't mean you allow yourself to be neglected or trampled. Please don't hear that. But there are ways to advocate for yourself without it being all about you, right? How can the gospel be advanced? There are ways to speak up with dignity and to point to Jesus, even when you are being personally attacked. Paul was imprisoned unjustly, but through his integrity and his service and his love for others, his captors sought Jesus. It's an amazing, amazing thing. So whether it's attacks on family members, coworkers, political opponents... Or just straight-up hateful barbs from strangers? Consider what an emotionally and spiritually mature response can be. Whether you see the results immediately or not, the gospel can be advanced through your humble maturity. Growing in humility requires a lot of reflection, being open to correction, and actually wanting to grow. In humility, that's actually kind of important here. You have to want to grow in humility. Otherwise, it's, it's probably not going to happen. Because growing in humility requires some difficult work. Ever heard of a genogram? Anyone familiar with the genogram? All right. So I had to, I had to do one for, for a class I'm taking. A genogram is basically like a family map. Okay? This is the kind of work it takes. I had, a, I had like a three-hour conversation with my parents over the July 4th weekend. Uh, talking about both sides of the family, and, and I'm Korean. We don't talk about <laughs> our families. Apparently, I like I don't even know like my relatives' names, right? And, and so I learned not just their names, but like the the, the patterns that were ha- have existed. This is the kind of work it takes. It's really, really difficult. So if it's safe for you to do this in your families, I know It's it's not always going to be a safe situation. So if it's if it's not safe, please don't do this. But if it's a safe situation for you to have these kind of conversations with with older older family members, it's so invaluable. Because these patterns that have existed in our families for generations, these consciously or subconsciously still affect us, right? And until we can name those things, we can't break them. Being humble also requires asking people for honest feedback. When's the last time you asked someone for honest feedback and actually felt like you got it? Are you someone that someone could give honest feedback to and that you'll receive it, or are they gonna, they're going to hold back because like, oh, this person's going to flip out on me. I'm not going to tell them the truth." Are you the kind of person who can hear that? Are you the kind of person who someone could say that to? Listen more empathetically. Be slower to speak, and be genuinely curious about other people and their perspectives. See, Paul was humble when he was personally attacked because he was emotionally and spiritually mature in Christ. He was able to step back and see the greater good of the gospel being advanced. Finally, we see Paul was humble when others carried out his work. In the middle section of our passage, Paul described how the gospel had advanced through others' teaching and preaching. And I say Paul was humble when others carried on his mission because a less secure person might feel some kind of way about that. A less secure person might feel less important or smaller because the work has gone on without them. Like, oh, I I thought they couldn't do this without me. Hmm. A less mature person might nitpick or criticize on the side, right? They're not doing it the right way, which, you know, translates to they're not doing it the way I would do it. Right? Some people have a hard time letting go because somewhere along the line, the work became about them instead of about the work. See, Paul handled it maturely when Paul, people attacked him, and he handled it maturely when others carried on his work. And I got to say, as I was sitting with this, I still feel like it might have been harder to swallow that others had successfully and lovingly carried out his work. Do any of you struggle with jealousy? Because I know I know I, I can. Let me give you a pers- another personal example here. A couple years ago, I, trans- I transitioned a work project to a, one of my newer coworkers. I knew she was capable. I knew she was good. But like in a couple, within a couple of months, she's like making these like really smart changes. And I'm like, oh, man, how did I think of that? Right? And it made me a little insecure. Like, oh, they, they like her better than me? See, it takes humility to see someone pick up your work. Because some part of our identity gets tied up in that work. To see someone do it better can be tough because it makes us sometimes doubt ourselves humble and emotionally healthy Christian is able to see that the gospel is actually much bigger than ourselves and can accept that God has lavishly gifted all of his people, right? Among God's people, there are going to be better preachers than me, which I'm sure you agree with. There are going to be better teachers than you. There are going to be better counselors and therapists. There are going to be better nurses and doctors, better students and dancers better accountants and HR strategists and jewelry designers, Eddie. Instead of getting jealous, we can rejoice that the gospel is advancing. Now, of course, this is easier said than done, right? So, so what, are, what are some tools that, that maybe are afforded to us to stay humble and rejoice when others surpass us? Well, verse 19 offers insight. Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my salvation. Prayers. As ever, having strong and trustworthy Christian community is the key. As far as I know, there's no magic bullet for staying humble and being okay with others passing us up. I don't, I don't have an answer for that beyond good, honest community. Because I believe that in inconsistent community, we can share our fears and our anxieties. And when we, when we name these things, they lose their power. Because we can share these things without shame and without judgment, and know that people of God are they've got our backs verse 20 in verse 20 that follows is Paul says that he's afraid of of being uh bringing shame on himself by denying the gospel see there's there's this image I think of Paul that we have that he's like the super Christian right that like he he, he would never fail he would never falter he does, he, and that' somehow he's doing this all by himself but if you look at I mean, how many people does he name in these letters, right? He's got Epaphroditus, Timothy, Silas, countless others. The women that were always supporting his ministry. We forget their names because we want to think that we're supposed to be able to do this on our own. But no. Can you think about how difficult this would have been for one person to be able to do? To not cave under the pressure of Rome? Of being imprisoned by them? Of having, being grilled by these Roman authorities? And, and Paul is afraid of denying the faith. Did you ever consider that? It just struck me this time. Like, wow, Paul was afraid of denying the faith. See, because the strong Christian can admit it and knows that jealousy and these other forms of temptation, they're not far away from us. Whether you're Paul or anyone else, they're not far away from us. So the strong Christians surrounded by loving and prayerful community who carry each other's burdens they say, yeah, I'm afraid of that too. Perhaps the ultimate expression of humility in this passage is Paul loving the Philippians more than what he wanted most, which was to die and be with Jesus. And he's very explicit about this in the, in the back half of our passage. Now, what sort of mindset would Paul have to be in to be in this situation? Remember, he's been in prison for at least four years. He's been shuttled around, right? And traveling in those days was really, really dangerous. It was really harrowing. If you read the accounts in Acts, I mean, he's like shipwrecked. And like every place he goes someone's trying to kill him or 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 maim him or just hurt him really bad. I mean this is this is his path. So at this point he's tired and he's probably ready for that heavenly retirement and and who could blame him, right? He's like, I'm, "You know, I I think I'm good. I want to just be with I want to be with Jesus now." Okay? So that that's kind of what's going on here. But he concludes, what does he say? To live is Christ and to die is gain. This is an earned thing that he's saying. Now, some scholars would translate this to 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 live as Christ and to die as Christ. In other words, it's all Christ. Life, death, it's all Christ. And because it's all Christ, Paul draws strength from the Lord. It's this spirit-given strength. And it's in that spirit-given strength that he prioritized unity with the Philippians because that's what would advance the gospel. That's what would make Jesus' name more beautiful and more widespread. Paul's entire Being was oriented toward advancing the gospel in all circumstances. And this is why he was able to stay humble in imprisonment and spread the gospel to the highest ranks of the Roman government from prison. Focusing on advancing the gospel and trusting God is why Paul was able to respond in an emotionally and spiritually mature way when he was personally attacked. And the united desire of God's people to advance The gospel sustained Paul, helped him avoid jealousy, and to stay humble and strong in the face of immense pressure from Rome to deny Jesus. Paul's humility was a model and encouragement for the Philippians in facing their own opposition. And through God's goodness, the power of God's word, we can also follow Paul's model of humility In community, you and I, we can keep each other accountable to grow in emotional health. In community, we can faithfully live into our callings and remind each other to measure success as God does, and not how we would, and to stay open to how God will advance the gospel in and through us. Let's pray. And so, God, this is not an easy thing. Our humility, we, I think the first mark of humility for us is to recognize that we can't be humble on our own. We too easily advance our own agendas. We too easily fall into fear and anxiety. And so, God, I pray first and foremost for, for your people this morning that you would help us to see that humility comes from Christ and the model, Lord Jesus, that you had to, you, though being God, you humbled yourself. So, God, we thank you for for asking us to do, not asking us to do something you didn't do, but something that you modeled completely in your body, Jesus, and in your life on this earth. And so we thank you that you, in your Holy Spirit, have given us the ability to do this, the access to be humble, to be conduits for the gospel to advance, even if it makes absolutely no sense to us. Even if we think we're stuck... The gospel can still advance through us. So thank you, God, that nothing can stop your gospel from progressing. Nothing can stop Jesus' name from being heard far and wide. And God, I pray for any of my sisters and brothers this morning, for whom that is a daunting ask, who don't know where to start or who feel held back by either personal anxieties or or traumas that have been visited upon them. God, I pray that you'd be gentle with them this morning. God, I pray that the gospel would advance in their hearts and in their lives this morning. Not in a gung-ho, push-it-forward, manifest destiny kind of way, but in a way that, that brings your shalom, your peace into our inner beings, and into our communities. Bring us humility in ways that help us recognize, man, I need my community around me. I need to tell someone what's happening. I need to go to therapy. I need help. Lord God, so advance your gospel in amazing, creative, powerful ways that are very specific to this congregation in this moment, Lord. You see us, you hold us, you know us. Help us to name the things in our lives that we need to name that might be holding us back, that might be hindering us from fully living into advancing the gospel the ways you've called us to. So heal us this week, be tender with us this week. Help us to be brave this week. And help us to also be brave in reaching out to someone this week and to love on people who may not be ready to ask for help yet. Lord, give us your eyes. Give us your heart to, to be fully ready and open to how the Spirit wants to move in our lives this week. So we thank you, Lord. We love you. We, we humble ourselves before you. God, thank you for being the kind of God who's tender with us and sets models before us to show us it's possible. It's possible in Jesus. So we thank you, God. We love you. We worship you this morning. Amen.